Okay, so we're moving on to chapter above, which is Gidon. And I just love Gidon. It's one of my favorites. And I think there's a tremendous amount to be learned from Gidon. It's an extremely long parak, so we'll just uh, jump right in and see what we can cover because there's a lot here. Okay. Um, what's going on here? I'd like to start with this particular version of the Perek. If everybody could see, I'm screen sharing. This is chapter Vav, chapter six in Shoftim. And the story of Gidon goes over <clears throat> three chapters, six, seven, and eight, Bab Zayin Chet. And it's, it's, uh, it's one of the longest stories of Shoftim. I mean, only, I think, Shimshon is longer. Shimshon is four chapters. And uh, there's a lot we learn about Gidon. And Gidon is a very fascinating character. And in many ways, um, very relatable. There's something very, very relatable about Gidon. So if we take a look at the division here, um, you see the first, the first stop is, a is verse 6. And the first six Sukim of chapter above are a discussion of the cycle of Shoftim. We'll get back to that. And the uh, oppression that happens from the Midianites. The second paragraph is verses 7 to 10. And this is a rebuke by a prophet, which is sort of a, an interesting interlude in this story. And Verse 11 is where we really meet Gidon, verse 11. And I have a little bit of a slightly different understanding of how this chapter breaks up. You see, they, they've broken it up here, according to this pay, verse 11 to verse 19. But really, the story of Gidon uh, meeting the uh, Malach Hashem, the angel, really ends over here at this Samach. So I would kind of put these two sections together and I'll show you when we go through it. And then the last se section, right, really, I'm not sure why they did it this way. They follow the, the text of the, um, the scroll, right? But Pasuk Chafei begins the first command that God gives to Gidon. And that goes to verse 32. And then at 30, 37 to 40, you see it's a very long parrot. That's the beginning of the, of the, uh, the fight against Midyar. So there's really uh, about six sections here. So we'll go through it. First of all, <coughs> just to remind you, uh, especially those of you who are new to this um, course, the Shoftim cycle, that you see on the screen, we start with peace, right? Um, the good times, good times. And then we have the Benesrael sin. That's the first part that happens. Hashem punishes them through their enemies. Benesrael cry out to Hashem. They cry out uh, for help, tefillah, prayer. Hashem sends a judge to save them. And then we are back to the beginning. Now let's take a look at this text, which is very clear one. Pasuk Aleph. 
This is the classic beginning of the cycle. The children of Israel did evil in the eyes of God, and God gave them over to, in the hands of Midian for seven years. Now, what's different about this, this uh, is that we have the word here by Yasu. And if you look at Rashi, Rashi says, Ad kanemar vayosifu, shayinitzbar chet al chet. We added sin to sin to sin, and every time there was another sin. And so um, it never really ended. But here, but because of the song of Deborah and that special tribute to God and the special uh, merit of what Deborah had done in bringing people to actual tshuva, not just fila, now they're beginning to sin again. So this Vayasu is different. It's not they continue. It's a whole new stage. We had 40 years of quiet, 40 years of Jews following God, and then they turned away. And this is a continuous cycle of Sefer Shoftim. Pasuk Bet. But Ta'az Yad Midian al-Yisrael, Ibn Midian, Asulahim b'nei Yisrael et-Hamin harot t'asher b'harim, et-Hamarot v'at-Hamitzadot. The hand of Midian was strong on the people of Israel. Because of Midian, the Jewish people made tunnels in the mountains and caves and fortresses. So you begin to see the picture of the Jewish people running away from the Midianites and hiding in various places. How does this oppression express itself? And it would be that when the children of Israel would sow, would they put out their grain, right? The Midianites and the Amalek and the Bnei Kedem came up upon them. Now this is a coalition of nomadic tribes who were basically, you know, they lived in tents, tent dwellers, and, um, uh, you know, if you, if you travel around Rishalayim, you know, uh, the way of Malayadumim, you see all these types of them, and they still live in tents with the camels and everything like that. So it's still people like that. And uh, it's a very big problem in the state of Israel. But here you have a coalition, I'll show you on the map, okay? So you see here, make it a little bit bigger. Right, you see here, this is Israel. And the, the, uh, the settlement of the Jewish people was more or less in this area on the, uh, the two banks of the Jordan. And B'nai Kedem and Amalek were much further south. Midian is down here, east of Eilat. And they all come, it's a huge coalition of enemies. And they come up and look what they do, Pasuk Dalit. And they camped against them, against the Jews, and they destroyed the Yavul, the uh, produce of the land, as far as Aza. Now, if we look at this, is a better map for that. Aza is, if this is the, this is the settlement, we really you see here the 12 tribes. This is kind of uh, talking about a southern border. As far down as Aza, they destroy everything. Below Yashiru Michya, the Israel, they did not leave sustenance in Israel. 
as we say the bracha al hamichya from the word chayim, right? They didn't leave any food for the Jewish people or sheep or oxen or donkeys, right? Pasuke. Because they came up with their flocks, the ahalehem and their tents. And they came up in multitudes like locusts. And there was a limitless number of camels. And they came into the land to destroy it. And the children of Israel dal, dal, they became very poor in, in modern Israel. If you need something that's low fat, where's Neely? <laughs> low fat, I don't know if it's just a dietary thing. You look for dal, dal shuman, dal sukar. The children of Israel were impoverished because of the Midianites and they cried out to God. This is the classic setup statement of the cycle of the judges. In other words, this is the way it worked. They sinned, they're given over to the enemy, the enemy oppresses them, and then they cry out to God. Now, what was the nature of the oppression of the Midianites? The nature is, uh, of the oppression was financial and economic, right? When we go back to the story of Deborah, who's the third judge, remember we had Usniel, right? Usniel, we don't even, we're not even told exactly what was the nature of the oppression there. And Shamgar, we don't even, we just get a pusik about him. But in the story of Devorah, we clearly are told that they were being attacked on the roads, that it was unsafe to travel, and it was unsafe to live in an open city. Here we're being told that the, the enemy was attacking their uh, food supply, and the children of Israel have nothing to eat. Now, I wanted to show you, let me see if I open this up, so I see if I can hear Radak, right? Radak here. Um, it's going on the wrong side, so I have to be here. They would destroy the crops before they were ripe, Radak says. The Chedi Lanot and the trees. Hakola Yukortim Mapilim. Everything they would cut down and destroy, and they wouldn't leave any food for the Jews. And Radak is pointing out here, right? Uh, Okay, whatever. All right, I'll leave that there. Anyway, the Radak is making a point. I don't know what I did now. Radak is making a point. It's not going to work for me. I don't know how I did that. Okay. Radak is making the point that the purpose of the Midianite raids were to destroy the Jewish food. It was not because they stole, they probably stole plenty, but the point was to destroy the food of the Jews. And they cry out to God. So this is the classic situation, the classic um, cycle. And then we have the end of this section. 
But here we have a, something that's a little bit surprising. And instead of usually what we have is God appoints a judge and the judge comes and helps us. But we have here a sort of interlude, Psukim Zion to Yud, 10 Psukim, where we have a slightly different thing going on. Okay. And here, Pasuk Zion, and it was when they cried out about Midian, of course of what happened with Midian, right? And Hashem sent a prophet to the children of Israel, and he said to them, Thus says Hashem, the God of Israel, I took you out of Egypt, and I brought you out of the house of servitude. And I saved you from the hand of Mitzrayim. I saved you from the hand of Mitzrayim and from the hand of all those who pressured you. And I threw them out from before you and I gave you their land. Um, so, this is a recap of God's saving of the Jewish people, and it's interesting because we have a very similar thing in chapter 2, I'll go back to it in a minute, but Omelachem, Pasuk Yud, right? And I told you, right, I am Hashem, your God. Do not fear the gods of the Emori, the nations of the, of the land, that you dwell amongst them. But you didn't listen to me. And that's the end of the section. So what actually is going on here? So we have our, our lesson from the whole cycle, from the first cycle until now. And this, the lesson is, as soon as the Jewish people don't listen to Akash Baruch Hu, Hashem gives us over to the enemy. The Malvin talks about this, you know, the first stage of Hashem's anger is that he sort of lets us go. He lets us go. You know what? Up until this moment when I've, I'm angry at you, Hashem says, I've been protecting you. But now, Deal with it yourselves. Now, this is not a good thing because Jewish people, um, when left to the natural unfolding of circumstances, it's not a good thing. So that's the first stage of punishment, when God just withdraws his protection. The second stage is when God actively um, goes to punish the Jewish people. And that's a very um, difficult situation. Well, in this story, right, the Jewish people are in, the, in this place. Now, we, if we go back to Pasuk Bet, right, you see, because of Midian, they made themselves hiding places. We'll see more about this when we meet Gido. Hiding places all over. They're afraid to be out because they are, all their food is grabbed and destroyed. And Hashem sends this Navi, instead of sending a judge, 
Hashem sends a Navi, and the Navi rebukes them. And if we go back to Parak Bet, okay, so I don't want to start scrolling around. I'm just going to read it to you because we have this in chapter two. Um, it says, And Hashem sent, Hashem sent a, uh, the angel of Hashem went up from Gilgal to a place called Bochim. Bochim means crying, right? And he said very similar things. I took you out of Egypt, I brought you to the land, and I said, I'll never uh, destroy the, my covenant with you, and you shouldn't just make a covenant with the people of the land, you should destroy their uh, their altars, and you didn't listen to me. What have you done? And I said, I'm not going to send them out anymore. I'm going to just let you be. And it was okay. This is chapter two. When the when the messenger of God said these things to all the children of Israel, they lifted up their voices and they wept. And they called the name of that place Bochim. And they sacrificed there to God. So here we have an interesting contrast because what they did was they cried. The very fact that they cried was an indication, was an indication that the Jewish people were full of remorse. They were sorry. And, and the rebuke hit home. It hit home. Now we go through a very similar rebuke. The man of God comes and he says to them, God saved you from Egypt. I, I did all these things for you. And, you know, I said, to don't follow the gods of the locals. And you didn't listen to me. And that's the end. We don't see tears. We don't see remorse. There's nothing like that going on. It's just... That's what it was. And um, it's a very sad story because it's showing us the downward spiral of the time of the judges, right? Back at the beginning, they already felt remorse. They didn't actually do tshuva, but the first step is to feel remorse and to say, oh, that's bad. You shouldn't have done that. And here the, the Navi comes. He rebukes them and zero. No reaction, no response, no remorse, just a, a big yawn. And that's extremely, extremely sad. Now, what we have here, okay, is a, a very um, common thing. I want to just take a few minutes to talk about it. Rashi says on this Ishnabi that it was Pinchas, okay? We will find over the course of Sefer Shoftim that many times we sort of have Pinchas appearing and doing stuff. Pinchas is a very, very interesting character. It gets this brit shalom. I think we mentioned it before. He appears at various places. And here in this section, the Ralbah goes into a discussion of it, which is extremely interesting. And then Ralbah says, like, if we had this Nabi, how come? You know, how come he's not 
helping things more? And why isn't he around more? Why do we need Devora if we have this nubby here? Right? And he says, really, it's interesting. He has this, this, uh, he has this koach, he has this power. He lives a very long time. The Chazal say that he kind of morphs into Eliyahu. Many, many similar things that go on. But the bottom line is, he comes out. This is a man who stood at Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. He was there. He could say to them, God did this. I saw it. I was there. Why don't you have, uh, you know, respect and honor God? But he doesn't come out all the time. He's only taken in certain places. And then we have Pasekut Aleph. We begin the, the, to introduce the character of Gidon. Pasekut Aleph. Yavo Malach Hashem, Vayeshev Tarras Ha'ela Sheva Ofra, Shel Yoash Avia Ezri, Begidon Beno Chovet Fitim Bagat, Lahanis Mepnei Bidja. And the Malach Hashem came, and he sat under the Elah. Elah is a tree. I, uh, mostly I've been have, seeing this as a pistachio tree, although I saw one place that said it was an oak tree, but um, pistachios win. And I took a photo for you. No, not that one. There, pistachio tree, just for fun. Okay. Anyway, so Gidon, uh, Gidon is in... He is a member of the tribe of Menashe, and his father's name is Yoash, who is from the family of Abiezer, and he lives in Ofra. There's nothing to confuse with Ephrat. Ofra is north. Ofra is north in the Shomron, in the territory of Menashe. And nothing's happened from this story with the with the prophet, and all of a sudden we have a new situation. An angel comes, and an angel is sitting under a tree. And this is bizarre. <laughs> this is not normal angel behavior, sitting under a tree. And um, we have to ask ourselves, what's going on here? What's the angel doing there? Why is it sitting under a tree? And we hear, this is where we meet Gidon, and we meet his father, okay? Gidon and his father, Yoash, and they are chovet pitim bagat. Okay. Lachvot uh, is to, it's a, um, a beating action. You take the wheat and you bang it, and the, uh, the chaff separates from the grain, and it blows away. They do it in the evening when it's windy in Israel. And here is a nice picture for you of a goren, where this is normally done. A, a paved floor, they would beat the wheat and the uh, chaff would fly away. However, it says here that they are beating the wheat in the gat. Now gat, this is a gat, I love, uh, you know, I, I always say it, pictures worth a thousand words. A gat is a wine press. Now, when you press wine, it's underground, right? So this is a sort of the look. So why are they threshing wheat in the gut? And that is to hide it from the Midianites. This is illegal activity. You're actually processing food and the Midianites don't want you to do that. So they're doing this poor and miserable task and they're threshing the wheat like that. And the angel is sitting there. Now this actually, I really want to show you inside because this is probably one of my 
most favorite radaks of all time, just a beautiful radak. It's quite long. I'm going to give you a loose translation. But it's definitely radak worth going through. Okay. He doesn't mean to say that he was sitting because angels don't sit. Angels do not have knees. You can't sit without knees, right? And it says that Malach Hashem is standing. He gives you other examples of different psukim and Zahariah where the angel is standing. And it means to say the angel was not sitting under the tree. The angel was waiting. The angel was waiting. And we have proof from that from a Pusik in Tilim, Ashrei Yoshvei Vesecha. Not that we're literally sitting there, but that we're, you know, uh, wanting to be in God's house to stay there. And later on in this parak in Pasuk Yitchet, where the angel tells uh, Gidon, I will wait for you. He says, Anochi Eshev, I will sit here. Okay, so now he asks the question, why did the Malach wait there and did not appear to him right away? Mashal, Shakarash Baruch Nimsalahem Israel, Bechal Eit, Emyifnue Love, you know, I just love this, this radak. It's the most beautiful radak. And this is just the pshat. The pshat is that the angel was waiting there until Gidon would see him. And this is a parable for Kaddish Baruch Hu. Kaddish Baruch Hu is always waiting for us. But we have to turn and look at him. So I would say this is our... Uh, it's definitely a life lesson. It's a very, very beautiful thought. We, we're always complaining when things go wrong and we're always saying, why did this happen? And why did God do this to me? And we're always asking that question. And we have, we have times that are difficult, but God is always waiting for us to turn to him because he's always there for us. He may not, you know, answer our challenges the way we want him to. He may not do things exactly the way we think he should, but he's there. And one of the reasons that we're, we're being challenged is that we should turn to him, we should face him, and we should pick up our, our connection with him. We should work on our connection with the Kodesh Baruch Hu. Now, that's the first lesson here, which is just the simplest explanation. The angel is waiting until Gidon would turn to him. And if we would just internalize that, that if we turn to a Kaddish Baruch Hu, a Kaddish Baruch Hu is looking for us, is waiting for us to turn to him, which I find that to be a tremendous lesson and tremendous thought. But it gets better. The Medrash, Ubedrash. He waited there until he found a merit for him. And then he appeared to him. And what was the merit? They said, uh, Yoash, his father, was threshing the wheat, and Gidon said to him, my father, you are old. Now you go into the house, and I will thresh the wheat, because if the Midianites come, you will not have strength to run away. And the angel said, you Fulfill the mitzvah of honoring your father, and you are worthy that the children of Israel will be redeemed by your hand. And immediately the angel appeared to him. 
So the Medrash is, it's also very, very beautiful that the angel was sitting there with under the tree, not actually sitting, but waiting, right? And the Medrash says the angel was waiting. He hadn't quite come up to enough merit to get this uh, uh, appointment as, as a um, judge in Israel. And he was waiting for one more mitzvah. And that mitzvah happened when Gidon said, my father, you go home, I'll take care of this. It's too much for you. Now, let's go back here. You know what, I don't wanna lose this for Doc. Vayera elav malach Hashem, pasuk yibet. Vayomer elav, Hashem imchagi borachayel. And the angel appeared to him and said to him, God is with you, brave man of valor. Gibor Chayel is the masculine equivalent of Eshes Chayel, brave man of valor. And Gidon answers him, I'm going to get back to the rest of the Radak in a minute, because I want you to see what Radak is focusing on. Pasekid Gimel, Vayomer love Gidon. And Gidon answers, the, oh, now Gidon doesn't know that it's an angel, obviously. <clears throat> Gidon doesn't even know that it's a prophet. Gidon doesn't know who he's addressing. He thinks perhaps it's a traveler or someone important, but he he opens up to him and he says to him, Gidon says, excuse me, sir. <clears throat> if God is with us, why are we in this mess? But I ate Kolniflo Tab, Asher Siprulanu Avotenu, Lemor, Halomi Mitzrayim, Halonu Hashem. Where are all those miracles and wonders that our forefathers told us, right? That God took us out of Egypt. Where are those miracles? But Atani Tashanu Hashem, now Hashem has abandoned us by Yitnena Bekaf Midian. He gave us over in the hand of the Midianites. This is a question that, this is a, a, it's a bursting forth of anguish and pain that Gidon feels for their terrible uh, position. And it's painful to him that he's doing this miserable job of processing the weed and hiding in the wine press because he's hiding from the Midianites. And along comes this man that he thinks it's a man. He says, God is with you. He says, well, where is God? If God is with me, where at? What are we doing here? Why are we in this mess? Can't God fix this? We are in such trouble. God has abandoned us. And this is a, a cry of pure pain. And it's actually very, very strong. It's a very, very strong statement that Gideon's making. And I want you to see I'll show you the Radak, right? <clears throat> okay, it's, Rashi says the same thing. <clears throat> this is a very beautiful Medrash. Continuation of the same Medrash. And Gideon says, is God, if God is with us, why are we in this mess? And the Medrash says, Emesh, last night, we read Hallel. When do we read Hallel at night? A Pesach. It was Pesach. We had a seder, and my father read to me 
when the Jews came out of Mitzrayim. I heard this whole story last night at the Seder. All the wonders and miracles and God saved us from Mitzrayim. In Sadikim Hayu Avotenu, if our forefathers were righteous, do a miracle for us in their merit. And if they were evil, he sets the situation up in such a way that you have no choice, God. Either, right, if the Jewish people in the lands of Mitzrayim, if they were evil, right, if they were good, so if they were righteous people, so then we have the merit of their righteousness. Then if they were evil, you save them anyway. So why wouldn't you save us the same way? In other words, Gidon is arguing with God. He's coming forward and saying like, this is not right. This is not fair. We're in terrible mess. And you really need to save us. And I'm giving, you know, I'm giving you two options, right? We, we maybe don't deserve it. Yes. But still. So now the Radak ends. Amar Kadesh Baruch Hu. Chayecha. By your life. Kach banai. So you have learned to defend my people. You are worthy of my speaking to you myself. This is a correct medrash, and he's a Pashtun, by the way. He doesn't always go with the medrash. This is a correct medrash because it explains what the angel was waiting for and why he turned to him. So I want to go back to this text. Okay, put this back here. But I, that, that explains to you why that's like my favorite Radak. Because the, the, just the shot is that the angel was waiting for Gidon to turn to him. And God is always waiting for us to turn to God, right? But the Medrash is so beautiful, waiting for him to have a schut, another schut so that he should be chosen. And what is his schut? His schut is he's a good, Jewish lawyer. Everybody needs a good Jewish lawyer, especially the Jewish people. And here we have this beautiful thought, right? That he says to God, you have to save us. You know what? <clears throat> either way, either way. And the interesting thing is that Hashem loves it. He says, that's great. Because the mercy of Hashem is infinite. If you look at the response or the non-response of the Jews to the rebuke of the Navi, and they're like big, big yawn, yeah, 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 right? So God doesn't know, how can I help these people who need help, who are in trouble? How can I help them? And he finds Gidon. And Gidon's pain and, and um, defense of the Jewish people is so powerful that God says, right, I love that. And it's, he's not the only one. This is a, not a precedent. You see this with Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe argues for Jewish people and Hashem listens. David says, Hoshea, the prophet Hoshea, does not defend the Jewish people and Hashem is angry with him about it. So this is our one very, very big lesson here. One lesson I talked about, the, the mashal, 
that God is always waiting for us to turn to him. Just keep turning to God. And here's another Mashal from that same Radak, from that same Jurash. And that is, always speak good about the Jewish people. You have no idea what the power of that is. Like who loves that. Don't speak bad about other Jews. Don't speak bad about the Jewish nation. Hashem is waiting for us to defend each other and to defend the Jews. And Hashem loves that. Okay, so let's go on with the story. Pasuk Bet, we did, Yud Gimel. And then Yud love Go with this strength. You have strength. And you will save Israel from the hand of Midian. Behold, I have sent you. These are all languages of, of um, what do you call it? Minui. He's been appointed. Be, and here he says Hashem. Be Hashem. Excuse me, Hashem. How? How can I save Israel? Behold, my family is the poorest in Menashe, and I'm the youngest in my father's house. Like, who am I to take on this great mission? And here we see Gidon's humility. We've seen his beautiful love for the Jewish people and his his suffering with them and his defense of them. And now we see he's a very humble person, right? And we, we when we read the story of Gidon, we sort of connect with him. This is a person who is really a good guy. He's a good guy. He's not, I mean, who, me? Now, we've seen this before. Moshe says it, Yemiyo says it. It's not a, you know, uh, I can't. Where did we hear that before? That's what Hashem says to Moshe. I will be with you. You strike them like one man, as if they were one person. It's going to be a great miracle. The Malbim has a whole discussion about how the hints that this is going to be a very, very miraculous um, um, fight. That's a lot of hints about that. And here we see something with Gidon, right? Okay. Um, Gidon is a nervous type. He needs a lot of signs. He needs a lot of hand-holding. He's very unsure of himself. And the interesting thing is that Hashem goes along with him all the way. Okay, right? You need a sign? Now he's really in your sign, he's saying, are you really God? Is 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 I are you really God talking to me? You know? And Pasikit Chet, and he says, and this is he's speaking to the angel, he says, Don't leave from this place until I come to you. And I will take out an offering for you and I'll put it before you. And the angel replies, I will sit here until you return. And here the Radak uses this earlier as a proof that uh, sitting means waiting. I will wait here until you return. Great concession of this angel. Gidon goes back, and he makes a kid go, young kid. Kemach has a big measure of flour, matzot, and he makes matzah because it's Pesach, right? Habasar sambasal, he puts the meat in a, in a basket. Bahamarak samba he puts that in a, 
uh, a bucket, the soup or the sauce. And he brings it out to this tree and he puts it forward for the angel. Now, remember, Kiron has no idea he's talking to an angel. It's just not a thing you expect to happen. He's talking, he thinks he's a, first he thinks he's a traveler and then he thinks he's a, maybe he's a prophet, he's an important person, but he doesn't know he's an angel. Put the meat and the matzah on this big boulder over here. Pour out the soup, the sauce. So why does he pour out the soup? Either because it's not worthy of being a sacrifice, he's making a sacrifice there, or because it's actually, he's going to pour it on the matzah and on the meat, which will make the miracle greater. And the miracle is here. And the angel of God sent the edge of the Mishenet um, is a staff, something you lean on when the, from the root of the Sha'ein. And he took, took the, uh, the edge of the staff that was in his hand. And he touched the meat and the matzah. And the fire came up off that rock, and it consumed the meat, and the angel of God went from before his eyes. In other words, he disappeared in a puff of smoke. Now, we 21st century people, right, we're so jaded by, you know, CGI and all this stuff that we don't can't appreciate this. But believe me, he's sitting there at that time and he sees the angel put the staff, fire comes out of the staff and the angel disappears with the fire in a puff of smoke. And it is unmistakable. This is a godly creature. There is no way to doubt that. And Gidon saw that it was an angel of God. Gideon says, oh no, alas, I have seen an angel face to face. Now, why is he so nervous? Because, right, it says in, in, uh, in the Shemot, right? No one can see me and live. And a creature of God, right? If you see a creature of God, that might be, you know, a, that's something that only the soul sees, and it could be that this is a, a very bad sign. And Yaakov also says, Yaakov Avinu, when he fights with the angel, he calls the place Penuel, right? I faced God and I was saved. Later we'll see this also uh, with Manoah and his wife. He's afraid he's going to die because he's had an uh, encounter with an angel. Hashem says, no, that's okay. It's all good. You will not die. So Gidon takes the opportunity. And he made a misbeach, an altar for God, and he called it Hashem Shalom. God is peace. It's still there at the time of the writing of the Sefer in Ofra. Now, now Pasuk Cafe, we're coming to a new section. We have had this uh, meeting up of uh, 
you know, with the angel and he's being appointed leader and he is, he asks for a sign, he gets the sign and now he gets his first command. And it wasn't that night, Hashem spoke to him. Now, this, I, I didn't really go into this, but I really should take a minute. The whole uh, discussion of Gidon and Hashem leads the Mephoshim to a lot of confusion. God turns to him, Gidon is not on a level like Moshe Rabbeinu, where God speaks to him when he's awake. Here, it seems to be a, a nighttime, a dream, a prophetic revelation, which is more what we expect from a, from a Navi on a regular regular, <laughs> regular level of a Navi. If we could imagine such a thing. But the whole interaction seems to be that he, he's talking to this, not this angel as if it is a, um, if it's a person, the Ralbag says it's all, you know, it's all the same person. The Pentecost, it's all the same angel. But most of the professionals understand that he had an interaction with an angel, and here he actually has a prophetic dream. And Hashem says to him, take the ox, the bull, um, which belongs to your father, and the second bull, right, of the seven years. What is the bull of the seven years? So the uh, Chazal explained this to being that there was a specific bull that was fattened for seven years for what purpose for Avodazara, right? And you will destroy the harassed mitzvah You will destroy the altar of Baal that belongs to your father and the Asherah tree that's above it. You will cut that down or hold it, okay? We didn't talk about Yoash yet. Who is Yoash? Gidon's father is chief of Avodazara in the city of Ophrah. It's his altar for the Baal. It's his bull for the Baal. And now we're telling Gidon, what you have to do is destroy the altar of the Baal, cut down the Asherah. Asherah was a, uh, a worship tree that was planted near the, um, near the altar of the Baal. And get rid of all this about Azara stuff, and also the the bull. They're fattening this bull for seven years for about Azara. You will build an altar for God, right on the top of this maoz. It seems to be some sort of very strong boulder. But Maracha is a flat area. And you will take that second bull, the bull that was being fattened over to You're going to take that Asherah tree. You're going to turn it into firewood and you're going to burn the, the uh, eagle, the, I'm sorry, the bull that was being fattened for seven years. You're going to, to burn it up as an ola, which is a burnt offering. The, the article calls it an elevation offering. It's going to go up to God. And this is a big undertaking. First of all, it's interesting because the first zuchut that he has is when he helps his father, when he has kibbutz Abayim, and now he's pulling an Avraham. He's defying his father. He's getting rid of all that Bodhisattva. So I want to point out, okay, that Gidon is a Balchuba. He's a BT. And he's a very interesting because when we said, my father was teaching me, was going through the Seder with me, you would, you would say, I don't understand. If the man, right, is head of a vote of Zara and Ofra, 
What's he doing making a Pesach Seder? And the funny thing is that even today, you have unaffiliated Jews, and that's kind of the last thing they do. They don't want to do anything, but they'll make a Seder. They'll have bread for dessert, but they'll make a Pesach Seder. They'll have Hanukkah with a little bush, but they will retain that stuff. And in the time of the Shoftim, you saw this confusion. These people were very confused. They did all this weird stuff. And here we see it. We see it with Gidon's father. But let's follow the story. He took 10 of his servants. Yoash is powerful and rich. He did what Hashem said to him. And because he was afraid of the house of his father and the people of the city, he wouldn't do it in the day he did at night. So he's got these 10 guys, because you know it's cutting down a tree, it's it's cutting up an animal, it's making a making a building an altar. They're doing it at night. And the people get up early in the morning and they see the altar of the Baal and the Asherah tree is cut down and the altar is destroyed. And the, the second bull, the bull fattened from Odezara, is brought up on the altar that's just been built. And it's, there's a number of questions here, like what happened to the first bull? We don't really know. Maybe they used it for work. Maybe they killed it as well as a, a, another offering. How did they know that the spattened bull is the one on the, if it's a burnt offering? So either because it's missing and there's a burnt bull there, or because there were pieces of the animal left that were identifiable. But they looked very upset. Chavtet, vayomer, eishoyeh, they check it out and they found that it was Gidon. Somebody told. And they come to Yosh and say, Bring out your son and he shall die. Because he destroyed the altar of the Baal and he cut down the Asherah tree. Now, how far gone? Do these people have to be to want to kill Gitto for getting rid of Avodazara? Right? You see how devoted they were to Avodazara, which is dreadful. That's a glam and olive. And Yoash said to them, Are you going to take on the fight for Baal? Are you going to save Baal? I share your rivlo, you matarabokra, a person who has the chutzpah to fight for Bob, she should be put to death by morning. If he's a god, your rivlo, let him fight for himself because he destroyed his altar. This is a fascinating answer that Yoash gives them. He says, if, if Bob is a god, let him fight for himself. It's a chutzpah to say that you're going to fight for the god. Let the god fight for himself. So here, the motivations of Yorosh are very interesting. What is he doing? Either he never believed it about Zara ever, or he did believe in it, and now he's doing tshuva, or he's just protecting his son. They expect him to bring Gidon out to be murdered. 
and he's not doing that. Now, as a contrast, you know, if we're contrasting with Avram, uh, Avram destroying Terah's idols, which is a very interesting contrast, right? Terah, he, you know, he gives Avram over to Nimrod, like, yeah, well, Yoash won't do that. Yoash is like, no, no. And he puts it in such a way that they, they, they don't have an answer for that. So you see, first of all, the people are desperate for leadership. That's definitely clear here. They need a leader. A person comes along, a strong person, and says, this is malarkey. If this guy is a god, let him protect himself. Right? And they don't know how to eat it because it's Yamash. So they back off. Pasik Lamed Bet, Gidon gets a new name here. By Yekralo, by Yomahu Yeruba, Lemar, Yerebo Abal, Kinatatat Mizbachal. And then from then on, he's called Yerubal, the one who strove with Baal, fought Baal. Now, we have very little time. Let's see how much we can do. It's a very long parrot. There's three psukim here, which show Gidon being ready for battle. Lamed Gimel. Bechol midzir ba'amalek v'day kedemes, hu yachta ba'yarubay ha'hanu ba'emek Yisrael. Just like the story of Deborah, the battle of the Midianites takes place up north in the valley of Israel. Now, Lamedal is a fascinating person. The spirit of God wore Gidon. It doesn't say Gidon wore the spirit of God. So this is like a, a, a tremendous madrega that Gidon was just a... a external uh, container for the spirit of God. Esther, but Esther Malkus, right? See, he's already, God is with him. God is sending him on this tremendous um, journey. But it's Kaba Shofar, he blows the Shofar, which always was a time, uh, an education of going out to battle. And the family of his father, the Avi Ezri, they follow him. And he's going north, and he sends messengers all over Nasha, not just his father's Abi Ezrim, and they all follow him. And all the messengers he sends in Asher, Naphtal, and Naphtali, and they go up towards him. Now, just for this, just look here, right? Um, here we have Menashe, he's Menashe, he's here. They're going up to the Jezreel Valley up here, right? And he calls up Naphtali and Zavulin and Menashe and Asher, the tribes that are in the area. Pay attention, we'll see this important in chapter eight. He does not call Ephraim. Okay, let's get back to the text. Okay, and all of a sudden, after all this rah, 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 call up the troops, everyone out, get on his if you really intend to save Israel on my, by my hand, as you said, I am going to present a giza, a fleece of wool in the Goren, and if there will be dew on the fleece alone, and the land will be dry, I will know that you will save Israel, as you said. What's happened all of a sudden between verse 35 and verse 36, 
that all of a sudden, you know, is like, I need a sign. Hashem, could you please give me a sign? And now here's a Goran for you. I'm going to put a fleece in the middle of the Goran here. And in the morning, right, when the dew comes down, right, the fleece will be wet and the land will be dry. Now, if you look at Rashi here, Pazik Lamachet, by he came, one second. Um, yeah, okay, Pazik Lamachet, by he came, and it was so. By Ashkemi Maharat, and he got up early the next day, by Yazar et Agiza, by Yimetz Talm and Agiza, Melo Hasefa Mayim. He takes that fleece and he squeezes it out and it gets a bucket full of water. But Rashi makes a comment here. He says, there was dew on the fleece more than every place else, but it didn't happen that the land was dry because there is a covenant of the dew that the dew never stops. So it wasn't exactly what Gidon had in mind. I'm going to explain this in a minute. <clears throat> Give me two more minutes. Lamatet. Ali <clears throat> Please don't be angry at me, God. But I just want to say one more thing. <coughs> I just want to test one more thing. Bagiza with the fleece. The second test, which is harder than the first, is that this time, let the fleece be completely dry and the the land around it should be full of dew. Now, this is very interesting because if you ever do a sponge up, right? And you take that sponge schmatha and you put it on the water, right? The sponge will absorb the water, some of it, and it'll still be wet around. But you can never put a sponge schmatha on a puddle of water and the sponge schmatha will remain dry and all around it will be wet. So this second sign that he asked for is really a very great miracle because it's against nature. So Pasuk Mem, Vayaselokim came, and God did this. It's here it says came in Lamed Chet the first time, it says it happened like that. That was much more normal. It wasn't even such a miracle because the, the land didn't get dry because God wouldn't do that, wouldn't remove the, the dew. But here, Pasuk Mem, God goes along with Gidon's request for a sign, right? The giza, the fleece, is completely dry. You just picture that sponge shmata on a wet floor, and the sponge shmata is completely dry. So we have a number of questions here. We're really out of time. Let's just see if we can do it quickly. We can talk more about it next time. But I'd like to go through the, the, the um, parent. First of all, why does Gidon start needing a sign? When we saw him charging forth, covered with the Spirit of God, like why does he need a sign? And then why does he need a second sign? What, what happened? Okay, so first of all, first of all, the, what's clear, what develops with the character of Gidon is that he is insecure. And there are two things going on. First of all, he wants a sign that he, is worthy to lead the Jewish people. And second of all, he wants a sign that he, that the Jewish people are worthy of being saved. Now, there's many, many interpretations of the symbolism of that fleece, but the Malbim, I think, does a very beautiful job. The Malbim says that the fleece represents Gidon, 
and the Goren represents the Jewish people. And the first thing he asks is, can there be tal, can there be merit for me as me, Gidon, right? Even if the whole area, even if the Jewish people have no merit. That's how the Malbim interprets it. And the second miracle is, is what if I, Gidon, I have no merit, I'm completely dry, but the Jewish people deserve victory. Can I be the one to lead them to their Geula? So that's how the Malbim understands the, uh, the sign. But the next question is, right, <clears throat> why does he need these signs altogether when we saw him ready to go? And it's very difficult to understand that. There's a lot of uh, questions there. So you either have to say that Gidon just every now and again needs reassurance from God. And we can learn from here that, first of all, leadership is a process. He's He's going through stages, stage by stage. And second of all, God has infinite uh, patience for him. God loves him and wants to help him and is ready to go along with this. And we're not supposed to test God. So that's also what's going on here. He seems to be testing his own worthiness and the worthiness of the Jewish people because God is telling him it's going to be a miracle. But I want to point out for you here. The Dat Mikra has a very, very fascinating explanation for this. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what it is. You see that in chapter eight, okay, we're jumping ahead a little bit. In chapter eight, um, we find out that Gidon's brothers were killed on Har Tabor, on the mountain of Tabor, which is where, here, over here. And the Dat Mikra says, the timing seems to have been that Gidon wanted to make a war that made sense. Because these southern tribes had crossed over to the Jezreel Valley over here, he plans all of his messages to the northern tribes that they should attack from the north, and he'll attack from the south, putting the Midianites and the nomads in a pincer uh, uh, action, and they'll attack from both sides. But something went wrong, and the Battle of Mount, of Mount Tabor fail, Gidon's brothers were killed. And now it's a very, very interesting Bat Mikra. Bat Mikra says, this is when he heard about it. He's all ready to go charging ahead. He's got the spirit of God. And then he finds out that they lost the battle on Hartabor and that his brothers were killed. And that's when he finds out about it. And then he says, Hashem, are you sure that you're doing this for me? And you sure they're doing this for the Jewish people? I'm really, I need help and reassurance. So I think that one of the things that we learned from this is the, the, um, the boundless mercy of a Kaddish Baruch Hu, right? Who keeps on holding Gidon's hand all through, even though Gidon is a, uh, you know, needs constant reassurance. And also we learned that there is a process here for Gidon's leadership, which develops into something quite extraordinary He's going through stages and learning how to do this and learning where he should go and, and God is helping him. So a lot, we learn a lot here about the connection that we should have to Kodesh Baruch Hu, reaching out to Hashem and Hashem hopefully answering our questions. I'm sorry, I really went a little bit over, too much over. We'll stop here. Um, it's a very, very long parak. Uh, it's just 
kind of hard to get through so much material in an hour. All right, are there any questions? And I uh, uh, open up the floor. Yeah, oh, I'd love to see you all. Isn't that nice? Hi, I take a picture. Welcome everybody. Who are these people I didn't see before? Bev. Hi. Hello. Okay, Sadie. Hi. Wow. A lot of new people. Okay. So anybody have any questions? You can always write questions on the chat and I'll try to answer. And um, um, never. Yeah. Okay, any comments, questions, thoughts? I know we're running through a lot, but really it is exceptionally long path. Okay. All right, Margalita's not here. Tell me she couldn't make it tonight. I don't know what's in the chat. Oh, you're cute. Oh, what's on there? One second. Thank you. All right. Lovely to see you all. All right. Okay. And I hope it was not too much of a pain for the Americans. Um, Fond is asking, how do we know that Gato and Isabel Chuba? Well, we know that their idol worship is going on there, that his father is an idol worshiper. We see that he's, um, um, the, the whole Kufa, the whole time is very confused. The time is very confused. All the safer shouting, you see it. They worship idols, they worship God. It's all part of the thing. You check into chapter 17, the, the idol of Micha, where they're just completely um, confused. And the interesting thing is Yoash is running this whole Avodazara, you know, worship. And his own son, right? His own son is, is saying, well, why are we in this mess? Where is God? And it's also interesting to say that it's actually, that it's not illegitimate to ask that question, to say, Asha, where are you? I, I want you in my life. I don't see you and I need more help. And I want you to be in my life. And so, you know, we sort of feel like Gidon is, is doing a, a journey here. He's starting off with this questions of like, you know, why is this happening and where is God? And God sort of takes him by the hand, step by step, and shows him, I am with you. I'm going to help you. And I'm going to explain it to you. And I'm going to be with you. And, um, you know, Gidon goes on to do great things, right? But he comes from an idol-worshipping family. So um, and he comes to be, a, you know, a great Jewish leader, which is a, a tremendous journey. A lot to learn from him. I love Gidon. One of my favorites. <laughs> He's so relatable, like, why are we in this mess? It's just the way we talk, right? You know, and it's just like, uh, like he just bursts out. He meets a total stranger. He says, like, I don't know. Where's all those miracles? What's going on? Right? So, Kaddish Baruch we need your help. And that's uh, really beautiful where he does it. Okay, I, so I think I should uh, close it up because there will be people who need to go. Um, but please, if you have any more questions, Fonda, I hope I answer your question. You know, Robertson uh, Shuren, um, I often um, compare B'nai Yisrael to the stages of, you know, starting out as a baby, 
when we left Egypt and we traveled through the desert, God cradled us. He gave us everything we needed. We were just in the baby stage and, um, uh, and we were protected, totally protected. We had our food, we had everything we needed. Um, and then you know, we moved on to a more adolescent stage. And I always feel that the time of the Shoftim was when we were such rebellious teenagers and trying this and trying that and confused and mixed up. And then they finally realized, you know what? We need a king. We need a little authority here. We just can't keep going like that. So they asked for the kings. And I don't know. I just look at Shoftim as like the wild teen years. And um, that's great. <laughs> that's yeah. great. It's really, yeah. you know, what I just find it so fascinating that, you know, this man, Yoash, who is such a, you know, a Vodazara leader, he has a Seder. I like, you know, this is what I hear from all the students, like, you know, the most assimilated home. There were, there were those things that Judaism and Seder is like one of them. It's so interesting that the Seder is like one of the last things that a Jew will give up before he like leaves the whole thing, like a Seder. Right. That and, and, a, and a bris mila, I think, is the other thing. You know, yeah. going to do the Hanukkah, which is interesting because Hanukkah is not one of your, but Hanukkah is big. Hanukkah is big. Yeah, it's well, very interesting. Because in it does order come to, around, right? Comes around the good time. It's it's to it's to um, compete with the other Christmas. holiday that's happening then. Right, right, right. Yeah. But uh, yeah, as you say. Yeah, but um, okay. That's interesting. Daddy like once it. told me that that um, the seder has an Indian of masoris, which is different than veshinantam levanecha v'dibartabam. Usually, the mitzvah is the parents to the kids, but the seder is the grandparents too. And somehow, this makes a lasting impression and stays with our generation for later years. And maybe that's why it's harder to let go of it because. We know, you know, you hear it from your grandparents. It's, it's more than just the authority of your parents. It's, it's ingrained. Who told you that, Ruthie? Daddy told me once about the mitzvah v'igadet alavincha or something. I don't remember how we got on to it. It's an interesting thing because that's true because the grandparents are part of it. Very nice. Yeah, what, when we were in uh, school, when we were in elementary school, we were taught how to say the Manishtana in Yiddish. We were taught to say the Manishtana in Yiddish because they knew that the grandparents would be, either our parents would take us to the grandparents. And this was in a, uh, in a day school in the 1950s where the parents were already, you know, moving very much away from what they saw in their parents' house. But on Pesach, the, the, the um, principal knew that the children are going to be with their grandparents. They want the grandparents to get some nachas. So they taught us how to say the Manishtana in Yiddish. Tata echvil der freigen defir kashes. And that well, was supposed also to... Yiddish. What? <laughs> My husband also says it in Yiddish. Well, I don't know. 
But that was for the grandparents. Like like Ruthie said, like the grandparents are also a part of, of the Seder. And that's in the days where the kids had the, the grandparents were the firm ones and the parents were already just went there to, you know, because their parents wanted them to. But um, for a lot of the kids in that school, asking the Manishtan in Yiddish was at least the, the grandparents had a little nachas that night. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Wow. That's interesting. But Thank you for the sheer. Thank you. All right. I think I'll say good night. Nice to see everybody. Okay. Have a good night. Bye, Fonda. <laughs> I see you. Okay. Bye, Bye-bye.